When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If your roof starts to leak or your floor's really squeak, you live in a money pit. Money pit. If your basement needs a pump or your place looks like a dump, you live in a money pit. Money pit. Pick up the telephone, fix up your home sweet home. I call an 888 Money Pit. The Money Pit is presented by Quickcrete, Pavestone, the Angie app, LL Flooring, Bank of America, and Deep Sentinel. Now, here are Tom and Leslie. Coast to coast and floorboards to shingles, this is the Money Pit Home Improvement Show, on air and online at moneypit.com. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. And we are here for one reason and one reason only, to help you guys take on the projects you want to get done around your house. Whether fix-up projects, whether big renovation projects, remodeling projects, you're working on a new kitchen or bath, or maybe you got a decor challenge to tackle. You want to spruce up your outdoor room while it's still warm and beautiful out. We would love to help you get all of those things done. Give us a call right now with your questions at 888-MONEYPIT or post them to moneypit.com. Hey, coming up on today's show, if you've been thinking about updating your kitchen, but you're concerned about the costs, we're going to have some tips on affordable updates that you can do literally over a single weekend that can totally transform that space without the hassles of high prices. And if you enjoy spending time outside, but maybe you're feeling like your patio needs a pick-me-up, we've got a great solution for those worn, weathered, or even cracked patios out there that's as easy to do as stacking blocks. And the hottest part of the summer always brings out the most bugs, including those nasty disease-carrying ticks. So we're going to teach you how to stop those ticks from taking a bite out of your summer fun. But first, we want to hear from you. You need some help with a renovation, maybe a repair, or even a decor project? We're here to help. We want you to have the best home ever. So give us a call. The number here is 1-888-MONEYPIT or post your questions to moneypit.com. Let's get to it. Leslie, who needs help first? We've got Tom from Florida on the line who needs help with a pocket door project. What's going on? Yeah, I bought a house, and uh, before they sold it, they must have had it repainted, and it was built in 1994, and the baseboards in the doors must have been oil-based paint because the walls are fine, but the paint is peeling off the doors and the baseboard. But I got a pocket door, and I can get the paint off of it, but one of the wheels fell off that holds it, slides it on a rail, and I don't know if I have to take the casing off to get that door out, or is there a way that they lift out? Or do I have to take the casing off to get the door out to clean it up and repaint it and put the wheel back on? Because once it's closed, there's enough, there's about an inch or inch and a half of it that still isn't exposed. So you can't really swing it out. You can't lift it up off the track either, generally speaking. So, no, I think that you're probably going to have to take off at least the jam on the side of the pocket, so to speak. So you'll have to pull the trim and the jam on that pocket. And I'll give you a trick of the trade to do that because you mentioned this was painted. What you want to do is take a utility knife and you want to cut the seam between the door and the trim and the wall and the trim. Because sometimes the paint will act as an adhesive, almost like a glue. 
And when you start taking it apart, it starts to pull different pieces of the frame or the wall with it. So just run a knife through it before you actually peel it off. Now, in terms of the fact that this is peeling paint, generally when that happens, you've lost the adhesion here between the substrate, which is wood in your case, and the paint itself. And nothing that you can do is going to repair that short of pulling the rest of the paint off. So you're going to have to strip that paint off and sand the area really good. And then what I want you to use is an oil-based or solvent-based primer on top of that, because that's going to give you the best adhesion once again. That's going to stick to the wood as best possible. And on top of that, you could use a water-based semi-gloss finish. But if you get the primer right and you get all the old stuff off, you'll be in good shape because you can't put good paint over bad paint. And if paint's peeling, you got to get rid of all that loose stuff before you proceed, or you'll just find yourself in this exact same space in the not-too-distant future. I wasn't quite sure what paint was on there, but I guess I was told if you take alcohol and rub it on a cloth, if it, if it comes off, it's a water-based paint or... If it's oil, it won't affect it or vice versa. It's probably not oil-based because, you know, that house at that age, you wouldn't really use oil-based for that. I can almost guarantee you they didn't prime it, and that's why it didn't stick. you got to prime it. Can't skip that step. Tom, good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at one eight 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 Money Pit. Marianne in Tennessee is on the line and has some concerns about asbestos. Tell us what's going on. Working on an older house. It was built in 1937. I know that they're... I was told that there was concerns with maybe the linoleum that's on the floor. There's this little bit in the kitchen and in the bathroom, and before I took it up, I didn't know whether I needed to check it for asbestos, if there was any other places I needed to check as well. So this is old linoleum. Now we're talking about tile here. It's sheet linoleum. Yes. I've not heard that sheet linoleum contains asbestos. I'm not going to say it's impossible. It's more a, a tile. And it's a nine by nine tile, and it's always in like very specific colors that you'll know when you see it that that's an asbestos tile. And like they don't make a nine by nine anymore. Like this is it. Yeah. I mean, the only way to really know for sure is to have it tested. But linoleum is generally not something that's associated with asbestos. And, and if, even if it did, uh, it would be contained inside of a binder, which makes it less likely to be removed, to be exposed to the air. Now, once you take that up, though, you also don't know what's underneath it. You could be revealing some other tile like that 9 by 9 that Leslie was was uh, was talking about. Uh, but that said, it generally is a good idea to pull up old floors before you put down new ones. So hope that helps you out. Okay. Is there any place else I need to be concerned about on the asbestos? Well, you would generally find it wrapping um, water pipes. Um, and it looks almost like an old-fashioned cast. Like you can see it's like a, a flaky substance that's like wrapped with almost like a plaster of Paris. And you'll okay. know that also when you see it, and that's asbestos. And while that has very low levels, I would not tackle it myself. You should get a pro always to do it if you see it. All right. Well, thank you very much. All right. Good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at one eight 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 Money Pit. Did you know that Americans take 20,000 breaths a day and spend an average of 90% of their time indoors? That's right. And according to the EPA, the level of indoor air pollutants can be two to five times higher than outdoor air and occasionally more than 100 times higher. Plus, every spring, we get sucked with allergens, too. Well, Air Doctor is an air purifier that filters out dangerous contaminants like pollen, pet dander, dust mites, and mold. Their Ultra HEPA filter has been independently tested to remove 99.99% of tested allergens, including bacteria and viruses. That's impressive. Now, Air Doctor also comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus the shipping. 
And they're offering a special discount to Money Pit listeners. Just head to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code MONEYPIT, and you'll receive up to $300 off air purifiers. Exclusive to podcast customers, you'll also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. Lock this special offer in right now by going to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-Pro.com and use promo code MONEYPIT. That's airdoctorpro.com, promo code MONEYPIT. Hey, do you want to protect your home from break-ins and package thefts before it happens? Well, this is the last week to enter the Money Pit's $3,900 Safe at Home Sweepstakes, and you can win smart HD camera systems from Deep Sentinel. Just head on over to moneypit.com slash sweepstakes. Now we're heading over to Tennessee where Steve wants to talk about water heating. How can we help you? My water heater seems to be going out. It's about five or six years old, and I've been hearing commercials on your show about tankless water heaters and other forms of like water heating solutions and i was just wondering is that you know costly or you know is that a better way to go than putting another tank in okay so you say the water heater's going out is this a gas water heater it's electric it's electric and it's going out so what's happening to it it's leaking oh it's leaking at five or six years really that's just plain bad luck steve yeah i know <laughs> so all right well, let me ask this question how, how long are you planning on staying in your current house is, is this is this the house for a while Oh, that's forever house, hopefully. Generally, I would say I wouldn't hesitate to install a tankless water heater, except, and this is a big except, tankless water heaters that are powered by electricity don't work that well. Um, they don't save you that much money. If you have, if you have uh, the ability to, to power it with propane, for example, then it's more realistic. But if you're planning on powering it with electricity, then it's not. So in that case, your options are to replace it with a standard tanked electric water heater, or you can use a real new type of electric water heater called a heat pump water heater. Heat pump water heaters are more expensive, but they're but they're much, much, much more efficient than a standard electric water heater. Are those costly? Yeah, they're more costly than a standard water heater. You know, you're you're probably looking at maybe around fifteen hundred bucks for one plus installation. So they're much more expensive, but they're far more efficient. That's what I'll do then. I thank you for answering my question. Sorry to hear about that leak, uh, and hope we've helped you get back on track. Well, if the home is where the heart is, then kitchens are clearly one of the most vital organs that converts a house into a home. So it's really no surprise that kitchen renovations are among the most popular remodeling projects tackled every single year. But while any home improvement project can be complicated, major kitchen remodeling can turn your life completely upside down, not to mention all of the fast food pounds that you are most likely going to be putting on while you're waiting for that kitchen to welcome you back in. Yeah, like which pizza place am I going to tonight? <laughs> well, you got to try them all, or, and you got to try, try all, all the food places, every place. Exactly. <laughs> what fast food cuisine shall I turn to until I get my oven back? And you'll be eating them for months and months. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, exactly. It's not just one, yeah. No, no, yeah, no. Because you usually get a couple of meals out of each one. Well, listen, if you want to avoid all of those home improvement hassles of the long-term rental projects, what we suggest is that you break it down into projects that we call modules, basically projects that could be completed independently of one another, because not only does this make the project more manageable, the smaller changes can actually have a pretty big visual impact and cut down on the need for those more major makeovers that really set you back in time and put on the pounds and eat all that fast food.
Yeah, for example, changing out your kitchen countertop, painting the cabinets, or just replacing all of that cabinet hardware. I mean, these are projects that you can do in hours and not weeks, and the result can be a very attractive and totally transformative experience. I mean, you can really change the look of the space. Yeah, and likewise, just replacing the kitchen floor or improving the kitchen lighting or just painting the room can give you a fresh new look. And if you want to make it more efficient at the same time, why not replace the faucets with water-efficient faucets? Look for those that are water-sense models. And with appliances, same deal. If you're going to trade them out, look for Energy Star certified products. They can lower utilities across the board. So if you think about it, you know, most of the time you think kitchen rental, I've got to go down to the studs. Oh, you really don't. If you just take it one chunk at a time, if you just do one section at a time, if you don't want to renovate the whole thing, spend a weekend, replace a countertop, you know, paint the cabinets, change the hardware, improve the appliances, and you'll make a big impact. And you do that a couple of times, you'll save yourself a boatload of cash. Now we've got Eleanor in Virginia on the line with a decking question. How can we help you today? The question I have is we have uh, Trek decking on our for our deck, which is, and also the porch, screened-in porch. But on the deck, uh, which is not uh, covered by any uh, roof or anything like that, it's all open, uh, to the environment. We have um, spots on that which are, it's a gray color decking, and we have these dark spots all over it. Uh, almost kind of look like a mold, uh, and we do not know what it's caused by. My husband has tried to use a uh, power washer with the soap that is recommended for that power washer. Also bleach with a scrub brush. Um, he has, he can get it lightened, but not totally gone. And we're wondering if there's, if you've ever heard of that with Trek decking and have any suggestions. Yeah. I mean, some of the composite materials out there do have some wood fiber component and they will grow algae, which is most likely what you're seeing. Now, one of the treatments that we would recommend is a product called Jomax, J-O-M-A-X. And Jomax actually has a deck wash. And Jomax is uh, a detergent that also gets mixed with bleach, gets applied to the deck, you let it sit for 15 to 20 minutes, and then you scrub it off. The pr- I would be very careful with the power washer, except for just rinsing purposes, because too much pressure can actually ruin that deck. Now, another possibility is that those black spots are what's called artillery fungus. They kind of looks like a shotgun, kind of a pellet size. Artillery fungus is particularly difficult to get off, and one of the sources of it is mulch. Do you have mulch around your house, around your yard? Yes. Well, sometimes the the mulch that's sort of the uh, the ground mulch, the shredded bark mulch, will contain artillery fungus. And once that gets out and attaches to surfaces like decks or sometimes even cars, it's really, really difficult to get rid of it. So... If that is what's going on, you, we would recommend that you don't do that again. Don't put the shredded mulch back on. Only use the bark mulch that's in pieces. That seems to not have the issue. It's the shredded mulch that attracts and contains artillery fungus. I would try the Jomax deck wash and cleaner. I think you'll have better success with that than you did with straight bleach, okay? Yes. All right, good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888-MONEYPIT. Heading out to Minnesota, where Gordon has a question about garage moisture. What's going on, Gordon? I'm in uh, St. Cloud, Minnesota. I've got a two-stall garage. Um, it's divided. It's a tuck-under garage. Um, the house is a walkout, so 
the back side of the garage is uh, below grade and uh, you know it, can, it ramps up from the front to the back in the springtime for a couple first couple of months in the spring the garage floor is wet and it's i believe that it's wicking up or coming up from under the floor i don't believe it's just condensation forming on the top my question is is there any kind of a sealer or anything that I can do short of knocking out the whole floor. I know that uh, now um, you should have a moisture barrier, some kind of poly under the floor before you pour it if you wanted to put a you know, an epoxy coat or something on there. There's two ways to address a moisture problem in a concrete structure like that. One is to try to make it float, <laughs> which is not going to happen. And by that, I mean when you put all sorts of sealers and, and caulks and so on on these floors or on the walls, you're never going to block out 100% of that moisture. But the more effective thing to do is to reduce the volume of moisture that's getting there in the to begin with. And I think I can explain why you're seeing that moisture on the floor in the spring. Because concrete is very hydroscopic. It's like a sponge. Imagine if you stuck the end, end of a sponge uh, in some water, how quickly that, that entire sponge fills up with moisture. That's what happens with concrete. So the first thing I want you to address is the sources of moisture. And they're very likely to be the spring rains and the drainage control of the foundation perimeter. It happens to almost everybody. So the walls that surround that below grade space, we want to make sure that there's gutters on that covering that side of the roof that are not only there, they're sized properly, which means you have at least one downspout for every 600 to 800 square feet of roof surface, and that the downspouts are extended well away from the foundation. We're talking four to six feet. The second thing to do is to make sure that the soil slopes away and there's nothing trapping moisture against the house like landscaping. Um, If you do those two things, you'll dramatically reduce the amount of moisture that's getting up against that concrete and that will stop the moisture that's from pulling up under the floor and and perhaps even through the walls. Now, as for a sealant, what I would recommend you do because this is a, a garage floor is to simply paint it with an epoxy paint. These epoxy finishes now are terrific. They're pretty easy to use. They're they're a two-part mix. Usually when you buy the epoxy kit, you'll have a gallon that's about three-quarters filled with product, and then a quart can that's the hardener. You mix the two together, and you basically paint the floor. And sometimes there's like color chips that you can drop into paint that help hide dirt. And when it dries, it's a chemical reaction. It's really hard, and it really adheres well to the floor. And I think that will stop some of the residual moisture that's left. But try to control as much moisture as you can before you take that step. And between the two, I think you'll be good to go. Okay, yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. As far as that epoxy, um, everything that I've seen says to not apply it to a floor that that gets damp. Um, there's a plastic test, and you tape a piece of plastic down, and it moisture forms. Yeah. Personally, I think that's a really silly test, but people seem to like it. Look, all concrete floors are going to contain some level of moisture. Um, as long as it's not excessively wet, then I think you'll be okay. Now, there usually is an etching uh, material, like an etching wash that you use first. So I would do that just to make sure the floor is ready to accept it. But if you pick a nice dry day, uh, I think you'll be fine. Okay, well, I thank you for the insight. appreciate your time. Everyone should know that drinking water is important to staying hydrated and healthy. Having safe, clean water is the last thing you want to worry about, but unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants right in its tap water. That's why we are thrilled to be working with AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers use a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process, and their countertop purifiers work with no installation or plumbing. 
It removes 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and is specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAs in your water supply. And they have water purifiers to fit every type of home, from installation-free countertop purifiers to higher-capacity under-sink options. They even have a Wi-Fi-connected purifier and mineral boost options. And its proprietary purification technology is independently tested by IATMO to NSF and ANSI standards to remove over 80 of the most harmful contaminants, including chlorine, fluoride, arsenic, PFAs known as forever chemicals, nitrate, and many more. I can truly taste the difference when I compare it with my old water filter. AquaTrue saves you money also. Just one set of filters from their classic purifier makes the equivalent of 4,500 bottles of water. That's less than three cents a bottle. Plus, you'll save the environment from tons of plastic waste. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and even makes a great gift. And today, Money Pit listeners can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. Just go to aquatrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter code MONEYPIT at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue water purifier when you go to aquatrue.com and use promo code M-O-N-E-Y-P-I-T. Money Pit. Well, as we are spending more time outdoors, you may be thinking it's time to update your patio. If it looks a little worn, a little cracked, a little weathered, we have got a great solution for you that is easier and more affordable than you might think. Chris Clare is with Paystone and joins us now to talk about the Milano system. Welcome, Chris. Hey, how are you, Tom? Good to see you. I love this system. So for those that are not familiar, Milano is a paver brick, but not a full thickness one. It's about half thickness, I would say, and it's designed to go on top of your old, nasty, dirty, cracked patio and leave it looking spectacular. Is that about right? That is, yes. It's it's 30 millimeters thick, so just over an inch thick. Um, it's it's a multi-piece pattern. When you see it, you've got three different sizes on there. It's It's a good way to just take an old, weathered, cracked concrete and just freshen it up, give it a much more rich appearance than what you typically see on just a plain gray, mold cracked up concrete. Now, generally, when you do a paver project, and we harp on this because people get it wrong all the time, you've got to dig out the grade, you've got to put crushed gravel in, you've got to tamp, 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 so it's really rock solid, almost like a roadbed, and then put the pavers on top of it. The nice thing about Milano is you're avoiding all of that work and all of the failures of paver brick systems when people don't do the work and they get weeds and stuff that come up through it, Milano just goes right on top of the old patio. So there is no real prep beyond that, is there? No, no prep at all, hardly. I mean, it's, it's, it has got to be one of the easiest systems that, that we offer at Pavestone. I could tell you that I've got a friend whose wife did, while he was out of town, did a 100-square-foot patio, knocked it out in two hours, overlaying their existing concrete pad. So two hours, they told me they had somewhere around $250 between the pavers, the sand, and adhesive. You know, you'll typically use the adhesive to bond the pavers to existing concrete around the edge. kind of gives you a horizontal lock. keeps the pavers from shifting side to side. But, you know, $250, I mean, she turned a old beat-up concrete into, you know, the brand-new deck where where she spends time with, she puts a fire pit out there, spends time with her family, that sort of thing. So it's now a focal point of their backyard. That's awesome. So basically with the adhesive, you're only gluing, like, the outside sort of couple of rows, and that is what sort of locks the whole thing in so you don't get any of these Milano pavers that sort of slip off the edge of the old patio. Is that right? 
Correct. Yeah, with any paver system, you're, you're trying to get a horizontal, a rotational, and a vertical lock. By having that concrete underneath, gives you a really good sub base, and and that's that's your vertical lock. The horizontal lock comes from doing the adhesive around the edge of the concrete and locking that edge restraint, if you will, onto the concrete and keeps the pavers from shifting back and forth. And then you get your rotational lock from whatever pattern you decide to choose. So being that, that the Milan is a three-piece system, it's all rectangular and squares. And you can do a one-piece pattern, two-piece pattern, three-piece pattern. You can do you know, running bond, you can keep it random. Uh, there's so much you can do with it. You can do a parquet pattern, two by two with a smaller brick size. There's just a lot of options that you can do with this Milano. Yeah, and I guess you could uh, pick up the Milano and try a couple of different patterns out right on top of your old slab there. And do you find one that really talks to you and then you're just kind of good to go? You just run with it from there, correct? Absolutely. It's a beautiful product. It comes in blended colors. It kind of uh, has a micro chamfer edge, kind of gives it that worn weathered look, has a rolled slate texture over the top. The weathered flagstone has been such a trending item for the last couple of years. This is kind of a cut weathered flagstone, if you will. It's beautiful. Now, once they're all in, you have to use traditional paver sand between the joints. Is that correct? So you just sprinkle that on, sweep it in, and then you're pretty much good to go? Yep. Yep, that's it. So, uh, you know, concrete by nature is not going to always be level. So I do recommend, you know, putting a little bit of sand underneath the pavers, just leveling out, you know, your low spots in the concrete. So once you've leveled out the low spots on the concrete and you've put your band around the outside using an adhesive and banded with your Milano uh, on the exterior, after that, it's you're just laying and going. And then you take your sand, fill in the joints. That'll help with your rotational lock. And you're good to go. What a great weekend project with just a couple of days work. You can totally transform your old cracked and uh, weathered patio, set up the fire pit, bring out the dining chairs, and you are good to go. Absolutely. Chris Clare, the National Account Manager with Pavestone. Thanks so much, Chris, for stopping by and, and bringing us up to speed on Milano. What a great system. Absolutely. I appreciate you having me. Beverly in Missouri, you've got the money pit. What can we do for you today? Well, I have a house that's uh, just been built a year and a half ago, but um, I have a covered patio, and my builder put cedar posts up there. The rest of my trim is all white. So I wanted to cover or paint the cedar, but he's telling me I can't do it because I'll rot them out. And I, that doesn't sound right to me, but I, <laughs> I'm not sure. So what would you, in a perfect world, Beverly, what would you like to see in those cedar posts? Would you like them to be white and match the rest of the house? Yeah, all of my trim is white, and so I would rather them be white. They're, they're a year and a whole half old now, so they're starting to turn the cedar look and get all dark. Right. Are they, are they kind of decorative? No. <laughs> Okay, so here's what I would do. Um, the first thing, I w- I'm going to recommend a staining process. So the first thing you're going to do is prime them um, with an oil-based primer or a solvent-based primer. And then you're going to stain them, and I would use a solid color stain. And a solid color stain is not going to look like paint, so it won't tend to peel. It'll fade over over time, but it'll soak in really nicely. And you can get a white stain, a solid white stain. And, and it'll look quite attractive. Painting wood does not cause it to rot. It prevents it from rotting. It just requires a lot of repainting. Yeah. I mean, he said if I covered it or painted them, that it causes the moisture to, to pull to the base and then they rot. I would disagree with that. I, I think if you stain them, you'll find that they're quite attractive and that the moisture will work in and out just fine. Good. Thank you so much. I really appreciate this. Good luck with that project. You're very welcome. Well, we're in what is traditionally the hottest part of the summer, and it's also the most active time of year for many types of insects, including ticks. 
That's why it's really important to take steps to make sure those ticks don't ruin your summer fun. We went for a hike recently, and wherever you saw the branches of the like the overgrown grass like leaning into the trail a little bit, man, there were ticks on the end of it just waiting to jump on. And you could whenever see you them? by. You can see them, and yeah, and it's not good. So you have to be really careful. Yeah, I mean, you do need to be careful because ticks and the Lyme disease that they carry, I mean, they're major threats to your health. So you've got to be smart about protecting yourself and your family whenever you go outside. Now, always you should wear long sleeves. You should tuck your pant cuffs into your boots or your socks. And when you can, choose lighter colors because that's going to make it a lot easier for you to spot the ticks on you. And then you've got a layer on the insect repellent that's designed to be applied to both your skin and your clothing. I mean, they're two very different, and you do have to look at the packaging to make sure you've got the right one. Yeah, and whenever you're outdoors, try to stay to the center of those hiking paths. And when you're done, when you're home, make sure you inspect yourself and your kids for any ticks that may have hitchhiked their way back to your house. If you get rid of them quickly, you'll be doing it before the bites happen and you'll be totally safe as a result. Yeah, and save the tick. I've learned this many times. Like, the, you know, usually I peel them off the kids and then stomp them immediately and, you know, we're done. But the pediatrician always said, bring the tick in in a bag just so that they can take a look and sort of rule out. The, so they want to test yeah, it? Yeah, they would test it. They can look at it. They can tell you what kind huh. of tick it is. About that. So it's good to try to do that when you can. But it's not as much fun as crushing them, though. No, because, you know, it's really satisfying. Because, you know, they're ticks. <laughs> You're like, you jerk ticks. You attacked my children. Stomp, stomp. But no, put it in a bag. <laughs> All right, heading out to Kansas where Mike is on the line. What can we do for you today? Hi. Uh, my girlfriend and I purchased a house about three years ago. And when we did, we had it inspected naturally. And the inspectors told us that our roof was in pretty good condition. Um, it only had one layer. And uh, the previous homeowner said that it was about seven years old. Uh, this year, um, we've been having some leaking issues, uh, and our we had our insurance inspector come out and inspect it, and he said that uh, really there was not a whole lot we could do, that it was just a minor leak, and he put some caulk on it, and that it would be okay. Uh, that was about three, maybe four months ago, um, and then a couple weeks ago, we've been getting all this rain, and there's the leak is happening again. So I went up there and kind of looked around, okay, and I found what I believe is the source of the leak, um, and I noticed something kind of odd. Um, where the water is pooling up at, there's a bunch of little green granules. Um, I'm imagining that's from the previous uh, set of shingles, because the shingles we have on there now are gray. So I'm not sure if our inspector was wrong and we've actually got more than one layer up there or what the reason for those those granules being there would be. And if that's something that we could actually bring to our insurance adjusters and say, hey, you know, there is something seriously wrong here. Well, the insurance adjuster is not going to help you with a, with, a, with a defect in the construction of the house. If you have a, a leak that's caused by a storm, that's something the insurance adjuster can help you with because that's covered by your homeowner's insurance. You have a pitched roof with asphalt shingles mm-hmm. and in the area where it leaks, are you near any intersections of anything with that roof? My intersection, I mean, is a chimney come through there? Does a pipe come through there? Do two roofs sort of intersect together at opposing angles? Is there a space where um, the roof matches, like meets up with the exterior wall of the house? Anything like that? Yeah. Um, it's at the back of the house toward the kitchen and um, I'm not sure if the correct term is valley where the the roof kind of comes together, and it all drains down. Gutter is that, and, and is that valley where the where the uh, contractor um, applied the caulk that you're calling it? I'm not sure exactly where he applied it. He just said that they did. Well, 
Look, if and how old is the roof? Um, the previous homeowner said it was about seven years, and that was two years ago. So now it's about nine, ten years old. And um, he said there was one layer? According to the, the inspectors and the previous homeowner, there's one layer. So that means that the old layer was removed and the new layer was put on was a fiberglass shingle. And fiberglass shingles that are about 10 years old, some of them have this issue with cracking or checking. And essentially, they, they develop fractures in them where leaks can occur. The only way to really see it is literally be on the roof looking straight down at it. And if you see it, you'll, it'll be obvious to you. It kind of looks like a fissuring kind of pattern. But, I mean, clearly you've got a roof leak. Caulking is not the solution ever. Um, if it's in the valley, the valley would need to be taken apart and re-roofed. And one way to kind of narrow down where it is, and you may not be the person to do this, but a, a good contractor or roofer could do this, is to take a garden hose and start wetting the wetting the roof down, but starting down low and working your way up. So, for example, if I thought the valley was leaking, I might let a hose run there for an hour or two and see if I can spot a leak underneath it. But I'd be careful not to put the water up to higher than the valley so that if it did leak, I knew exactly where it was happening. Does that make sense? Okay. Awesome. Thank you. Now, Janie reached out to us at moneypit.com. She wants to help her aunt out. So she writes, my 92-year-old aunt still lives in her one-story 1963 built home where the winter temps are 20s and 30s and 90s in the summer. She had radiant heat in the ceilings, but it doesn't work in a couple of the rooms. It's a 2,400-square-foot house and has a full, unfinished basement. She wants to upgrade the house before she sells it. What is the best heating and cooling system for the house? This is ambitious for anybody, let alone a 92-year-old lady. Yeah, it's a big problem. And you know, I mean, I think it's awesome you're helping her out. A 1963 house is actually a really good year for houses. Homes do have good years. And the homes from the 60s are generally really well built. The quality of lumber is awesome. You normally have hardwood floors that were put in by the builders that were very quickly covered with carpet for decades. So they don't really, <laughs> haven't really worn too much, right? Um, but in terms of the radiant heat, that's the one thing that is, oh man, I hate to hear that because radiant heat is really, really expensive. And if she's in an area of the country where you got full-blown winters, I'm sure it's costing her a lot. But listen, the real estate market is really hot right now, Janie. So I would not replace that heating system until you check with a real estate agent or you could have a home inspection done for the seller's purposes, which is your aunt. The home inspector will know, you know, what the strengths and weaknesses are of the house and maybe help you make that decision. But I just want to see you put a lot of money in because right now the market is so crazy hot. People are buying houses and tearing them down. So you may be wasting your money. So I would definitely uh, get some further advice on from the market perspective. And if you do have to put a system in, go with a high efficiency heat pump. It's going to be a lot less expensive than the radiant heat. And you can do air conditioning and heating in the same set of ducts. And listen, Janie, buyers are certainly paying way above asking, even when the house needs a ton of work. So definitely chat with a realtor. Well, concrete is a building material we usually think about for heavy projects like sidewalks or foundations. But it's actually become a very popular product you can use for some really cool craft projects, too. Leslie shares some ideas in today's edition of Leslie's Last Word. Leslie, what do you got for us? Yeah, you know, this comes to us from our friends over at QuickCrete. Now, they've got a bunch of videos on their website with concrete craft projects. And one that I thought was really neat looking was making concrete vases. And they actually are super easy to do. So now QuickCrete has the step-by-step right on their site. But generally, here's how the project's going to work. First, you've got to pick up some QuickCrete concrete countertop mix. Now, while it's a high-strength product that's designed for countertops, it actually works great for casting projects like making these vases or even pendant 
lights. And it comes in two colors, gray and white, and it's designed to flow, which is exactly what you need for this project. Now, to make the vase, you want to take a plastic bottle and you drill a hole right in the top. It's got to be big enough to fit a pen, a test tube, some sort of vessel that will contain the water once it's the vase. So something that's going to go into the concrete, you'll put the water in and put your stem in. Really easy peasy, but you got to find the right thing. Now, then you turn that bottle upside down and you cut off some of the bottom and then you fill that bottle with the concrete mix. And it's about 18 to 20 hours for it to cure. Then you want to cut the plastic away from that concrete. At this point, the concrete's going to be solid, but the edges are still going to be soft enough so you can sand out or cut away any of the rough spots or something that just doesn't seem right. And what you're left with is a vase with the shape of the inside of the bottle that you used as a mold. And that tube, that's what holds the water. That's what holds the flower or the stem or whatever it is. It's a great project. The white looks awesome. The gray looks awesome. It's great left natural. You can paint them. Whatever you want, you can stain them. They really are gorgeous and it's super fun to do. So check out the entire video at quickcrete.com and then click on how to videos. That's quickcrete.com. Quickcrete, it's what America is made of. And I guess if you take on this project, it's what some beautiful concrete vases are made of too. Coming up next time on The Money Pit, drains that clog can be a real hassle of home ownership. They happen always at the least convenient moment, and they can be a real pain in the neck to fix. They may come with the territory, but they don't have to be complicated to free up. We're going to share some tricks of the trade to do just that on the very next edition of The Money Pit. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Remember, you can do it yourself. But you don't have to do it alone. You live in a money pit.